Welcome back to All Else Equal, a podcast designed to bring students and faculty together. Who's calling in today for us? So today's question comes from Notre Dame grad Grace Campanile. Hello, Professor Reed and Professor Spence. This is Grace, a 2020 graduate. I was curious if you could explain what the Federal Reserve's current stance on monetary policy and wealth inequality is. They claim to be an independent agency, and yet there have been claims by many that the Fed drives inequality or that it should fix inequality. Thank you. I'm excited to hear all about this. So I know we say this a lot, um, but this is like a very interesting and topical question. And what I want to do is get Jeffrey R. T-Bone Campbell, a new addition to the Notre Dame Economics Department, on to talk about this. So Jeff's been at the University of Chicago, Chicago Fed. He has a wealth of... Uh, monetary policy experience. He's also agreed to be our roving Fed correspondent. So just as a as a, a foreshadowing of future episodes with a roving that's Fed, perfect. We need him Fed correspondent. Uh, we're going to get Jeff Campbell on here. So um, I'd like to frame the discussion around a, a New York Fed staff report entitled "Monetary Policy and Racial Inequality" by Bartscher and a bunch of co-authors in January 2021, where they're looking at Exactly that. We want to figure out kind of what's the relationship between monetary policy and racial uh, inequality. I can't think of anybody better than uh, Jeff to have on to talk about it. Great. We'll link the paper in the description, but let's get Jeff on. Jeff T-Bone? Am I saying that right? T-Bone? 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 We think it's T-Bone. T-Bone. Okay. Thanks for joining us. Really appreciate you being here with uh, Pork Butt or Forrest and I. You're most welcome. It's great to be here. So we're hoping to talk to you about uh, January 2021 Fed staff report uh, entitled Monetary Policy and Racial Inequality by Bartscher and, and co-authors. And so the authors are looking at, not surprisingly based on the title, how monetary policy impacts racial wealth inequality. So can we get a first, just like get an interview on the channels through which monetary policy might impact household wealth? Sure. Uh, there are two big ones. The first one is by impacting income itself, because wealth is nothing but the accumulated income that you haven't spent, uh, multiplied by any interest rates that you got uh, from saving it. And um, monetary policy can influence the, our current incomes, and so potentially raise our wealth in the long run. That's, that might be particularly the case for workers in cyclically sensitive areas, like manufacturing, and workers who are lower on the skill totem pole. Can, can I stop right there? How does the Fed, or how could the Fed potentially impact our wages, right, our income? Well, the basic idea here is that expansionary monetary policy can expand labor demand and thereby shift out on a labor supply curve and raise wages. Now, that's the theory. In practice, what, prob- what is much more likely to happen is that by increasing labor demand, they'll also increase the um, number of people who are hired. So they'll move people from unemployment into employment or from non-employment into employment. Mm -hmm. And that raises earnings. Would you say that's what happened in the lead up to COVID? So sort of the end of the Trump administration, we saw really, really tight labor markets and I guess tighter labor markets than we thought were possible without generating a bunch of inflation. Feel free to comment on that too. But like... You know, what, isn't that the, the idea that monetary policy played a part in, like, bringing in people into the labor force? The role of monetary policy in that specific episode during the Trump administration, um, I think the jury is still out on that. Mm. But it's certainly the case that, that um, labor, labor force participation 
and was high, higher than it had been recently. And unemployment, particularly for black Americans, was exceptionally low. Mm. Historically low, right? Absolutely. And so that's, if we're thinking about steps the Fed can take, or actually, let me, let me rephrase that. In the Fed's longer term statement, with this, this evaluation they did, part of the language that they've changed is they've, they're sort of saying, instead of thinking about some natural rate of unemployment, we're thinking about kind of, uh, I guess, pushing, pushing labor markets, um, Trying to find out where that natural rate of unemployment is, right? Actually, and so they're trying yeah. to well, tighten up a little bit more than what we thought was. So the possible. natural rate of unemployment is a nebulous and difficult to measure concept. So when uh, then Chairman Bernanke uh, announced the two percent inflation target, it was a natural question among the press of why haven't you announced an unemployment target? Mm. After all, Congress has given you a dual mandate for price stability and maximum sustainable employment. And his answer was that uh, inflation is ultimately under the Fed's control, whereas labor market uh, conditions were influenced by many, many, many factors, the Fed being only one of them and probably not the most important. And so the Fed could not necessarily set the long-run level of unemployment that's consistent with price stability. Do you agree with that? Yes. Okay. What, what, you might I agree with half of it. Oh, okay, okay. I agree with half of it. I agree that the Fed has very little to do with the long-run level of, of unemployment that's consistent with price stability. Do you disagree with, like, the Fed controls price stability? It's, unfortunately, uh, recent history has shown that, uh, has turned Milton Friedman's famous uh, dictate around. He said that inflation is everywhere and always a monetary phenomenon. Mm. But it seems that as we live through, we're entering our second decade of the Fed consistently missing its inflation target and missing it on the downside, it seems like inflation is nowhere and never a monetary phenomenon. Mm. But the Fed has not nearly the control over inflation that it wishes it had. Okay, so thinking back to this natural rate of unemployment, I think one, one of the reasons why I was having difficulty framing my question earlier is what I guess what I wanted to ask was, like, does the Fed still believe that they can pin down the natural rate of unemployment? That this is like a useful concept? That they can estimate it? Yeah. Do they believe that they can pin it down? No. Do they believe it's a useful concept to discuss and to keep track of the ongoing debate about what it is? Yes. Okay. That's a useful activity. Are they ever going to be able to come out and say, currently, the natural rate of unemployment is, I'm going to make up a number here, 5.5%. No, I don't ever see that coming out of the FOMC. I do see a discussion about ranges Mm -hmm. coming out of various FOMC participants, but nothing in the statement. And it it seems consistent, at least with uh, Jerome Powell's kind of... um guidance since his tenure started that it's going to be all data driven that we're not looking at one exact point to kind of you know set set our you know jumping off inflation inflation uh, sorry interest rate jumping off point but like we we need this is always evolving right this is always evolving and something that it's hard to appreciate from our position here at a university uh, because we teach models and we teach mm-hmm. statistics, mm-hmm. and those are always very specific, and there are right and wrong answers with those. But the people who are actually implementing policy 
uh, do not have the luxury of thinking that their model is right. And so they're going to end up looking at many models and taking those as guides to what the right policy is. Yeah. So we should come back to the paper now. And so we talked a lot about labor markets, how the Fed can influence labor markets and that can influence mm-hmm. individuals' wealth, or sorry, income, and then thus influence their accumulation of income, right. their wealth. Um, what's the other kind of channel that they're going to focus on in this paper? Well, the other channel is the reevaluation of assets that uh, households already have. So when you say that somebody is wealthy, that means they own something that other people are willing to pay for. Um, but that something varies a lot across individuals and even within an individual. So households can own equity in their own homes. They can own uh, bank deposits. They can own bonds. They can own stocks. They can have all of those assets potentially in their retirement plans. There are many different assets that people can hold. What the Fed can be doing with, through monetary policy is causing the prices of those assets to change. Mm. So a lowering of interest rates is directly raising the prices of bonds. Right. That That's a okay. direct pathway. That's yeah. a direct pathway. And maybe it's, that's, it's worth... That's the it's, only one of these pathways that I really actually understand at this point. And it's the only one that's just arithmetic, right? right. And so... Well, I, bo- I would have to say that, you know, equity prices... By lowering interest rates, you would expect because of the right, but the that's, you would that's hope, the channel that's you would right. hope, but that's more indirect. That's okay. the channel that's right. Really different. So we, that, should, well, I do want to talk yeah. about that. But equity, but bond prices literally are the inverse of interest rates. Yeah, okay. right, and so that's a big channel. So if you are an owner of bonds and the Fed lowers interest rates, you instantly get a capital gain on those bonds. You're instantly made wealthy. Price has gone up. They're worth more. Exactly. Exactly. And so we end up in a situation where uh, the Fed, in a, if, if it was trying to reduce inequality uh, by boosting labor demand for those who are at the bottom of our um, economy, then they're inadvertently, perhaps, um aiding those at the top of the economy because those are the people who own the bonds. Those are the people that own the bonds, that own real estate. That own real estate. Mm -hmm. And then, as Jason Mm -hmm. was saying, that own stocks. Okay, it's also widely appreciated that um, interest rate reductions do indeed tend to increase the stock market. Is that, what are the channels through which that happens? Well, I would say there's two channels. Channel number one is that, well, two and, two and maybe more. The first one that I'm going to name is um, a stock price should be the uh, discounted sum of future payouts. Okay. By raising interest rates, you make discounting the future lower. And so you raise the value of that discounted sum. The second thing is by stimulating the economy, you might actually raise those future payouts. Oh, so the second challenge just says if we're more accommodative, we're businesses reduce, will we're make more economy. profits and they'll have more Equity. payouts uh, to their okay. to their to their owners. There's is, a lot of nuances. Is, yeah. is there but then there's another like channel substitution between bonds and equities. Well, I'm gonna let me just say that before okay. we move to the substitution. We understand so little about the behavior of equity prices. Yeah. And there could be another channel in there through 
let's call it bubbly dynamics. That's exactly right. Yeah. That that the stock prices are not necessarily well tied to fundamentals. Is bubbly the same thing as frothy? Frothy, frothy bubbly. Frothy on the podcast, like before. a cappuccino or a good Lacroix. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, and so, just to kind of tie this stuff together, I think the 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 paper is trying to make the main point. If there's one primary point, it's like accommodative monetary policy can induce some people into the labor force and benefit people at, say, the, the lower income end of the income distribution yeah. by increasing mm-hmm. labor force participation. That's going to have some wealth effect. But if you're thinking about inequality in wealth, like just the, the differences in wealth between different groups, um, the people that are holding wealth may benefit more in, in a magnitude term that are, you know, in some, That's right. some level through That's a kind right. of... And Monetary this makes policy. really this makes a lot of sense because what the Fed can do is make trading between private individuals more profitable. That's what the Fed is there for. Did you explain that? Yeah, sure. That? So the Fed provides the monetary apparatus with which we engage in all of our transactions, both for a cup of coffee and for our retirement savings and all of that. The, uh, the basic mission of the Fed, even beyond the dual mandate, is to provide an environment within which people can trade to make themselves better off. And when they do that more effectively, everybody's made better off. Now, everybody includes the wealthy. Mm. And usually the wealthy are pretty good at grabbing, uh, some of that, some of that, um, additional wealth that's being created by a sound monetary policy. Here's one thing I I, I want to clarify with with my statement about like what the, the the paper's primary goal is, which is that accommodative, you know, the way I kind of phrased it earlier is accommodative monetary policy is making everybody better off. Sure. Yeah. But like that's not the right way to think about the problem though, right? I mean like we know that there are trade-offs. Just being accommodative in a vacuum or being accommodative doesn't necessarily mean everybody's better That's off. That's right. So, so let me take a step there's back. There's an appropriate level of accommodation okay. depending on macroeconomic circumstances. I think this is an excellent point you're bringing up for us. That um, being accommodative merely for its own sake will ultimately generate inflation and make nobody better off. And we still mm. believe that, right? Yes. Okay. okay. Yes. <laughs> we still <laughs> believe that. So being accommodative and being accommodative in order to help a particular group of Americans is a lot like being accommodative for no particular reason from a macroeconomic perspective. Okay. The, the reasons for being accommodative in a macroeconomic perspective are that credit market conditions have changed, labor market conditions have changed. Um, we're going through an epidemic like we yeah. were um, earlier last year. The Those are macroeconomically recognized reasons for uh, additional accommodation. So, but accommodation, in order to produce the, desi- the, the usual side effects of accommodation, is going to end up not producing those side effects. It's mm-hmm. only going to produce inflation. I think I understand what you mean. So yeah. okay. to what degree should the Fed like put... Well, let me actually just, I haven't done this yet. Let me just read uh, a statement from the 2019 Fed survey on consumer finances. Sure. Uh, so in the 2019 survey, actually this is from the paper, uh, white families have the highest level of both median and mean family wealth. 
188,000 and 983,000 respectively. Black and Hispanic families have considerably less wealth than white families. Black families' median and mean wealth is less than 15% that of white families, 15% that of white families at 24,000 and 142,000 respectively. Like those are staggering statistics based on some sort of observable demographics. How much should the Fed care about that those particular observables? Like how much should they put those things in their into their objective function? Well, I think they shouldn't be putting in them into their objective function at all. The Fed's tools are monetary policy, which are rather blunt tools for accomplishing anything about redistribution. One may say that uh, these statistics are undesirable, but nevertheless, the Fed has no tools with which to address them. At this point, I would say that the Fed has not even succeeded in its primary mandate of hitting 2% inflation. Um, it seems a little ambitious to go on and adopt a, a secondary or tertiary mandate, um, which Congress hasn't even given them, to uh, reduce inequality on any observable dimension. Would you... Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that I, I, I agree. It feels a little like they're putting the cart before the horse in that... You know, there's that society uh, and there's we've talked about institutions prior on all else equal and how institutions can impact, you know, wealth accumulation. And it just feels like that the Fed is not capable to impact those institutions that are still present. The Fed is very capable of impacting institutions that accumulate wealth. But through poor monetary policy, it's able to destroy the ability to accumulate wealth. Mm. Okay, it's able to do that in a race-neutral way. Yeah. It's what, it's and so it's not going to be able to do anything to, uh, to achieve wealth equality, except perhaps to destroy the ability to accumulate wealth. Yeah, when, when I was interrupting you, Jason, I think I, I did that because, like, they do have an impact, but it's not in, like, maybe the, the targeted way that I think some people... That fiscal policy could. The, the, well, yeah, fiscal policy potentially could. Potentially right. could. Yeah. Potentially um, could. Exactly. So, but it feels very much like the political climate right now is that, like, this is part of the Fed, or this should be part of the Fed's mission. And this is not surprising that the political climate would, would drift that way. I mean, we are going through a time when Americans are reexamining uh, policy towards racial inequity. Mm-hmm. And the... Um, um, if you go back to, say, the Greenspan era, there was a bit of a, I don't want to call it a cult of personality because it didn't exclusively revolve around Greenspan, but a cult of institutional personality that somehow the Fed was a miracle worker hmm. and could do all kinds of things. And an unfortunate byproduct of that was that the that Fed officials were expected to be experts on lots of things. Hmm even things that don't fall within the normal purview of monetary policy. I would say that this current political environment is just the latest of many examples of the Fed being looked to to address a problem which really falls outside of its, its, the domain of its tools. So you've done work in guidance and for guidance from the Fed. Sure. Would you think that then this falls into that maybe just forward guidance in some ways? No, I really wouldn't. Um, forward guidance refers to Fed officials making statements about what they will do mm-hmm. in order to improve current macroeconomic outcomes. 
And the theorized channel for that, uh, those effects, are through expectations. So a Fed official saying that she will keep interest rates lower for longer should be expected to create a boom and inflation, and both of those should increase current spending. So if it's not so if it's not guidance, then is the Fed taking kind of like a just a first mover kind of approach to this to try and get the ball rolling? Well, I would say it's quite differently. I would say the Fed is getting out in front of it in its public statements, mm. um, so as not to be left behind in the in the public discussion. Why does the Fed but care the, about that? Yeah, because the Fed is a creature of Congress, okay. and Congress wants the Fed to be doing what Congress wants to accomplish, even if the Fed is not able to accomplish those things. Mm. So it's very important to have a public persona for the institution that says we're on board with the current sentiment of Congress. That that, that leads me to a, another question I want to ask you, which is about like climate change stress tests. Uh so Powell has testified on this idea that like that this idea that we should set up stress tests for banks to where in certain climate change scenarios, I guess that generates financial strain on banks and then we should want to make we want to make sure that they're ready for this. Like what are your thoughts on this? I haven't thought a bit about that. <laughs> yeah. I I don't really know much about it other than like this is an idea that has been floated that well, I don't know. Do you think COVID? Maybe this is a, this is kind of a an interesting take. But do you think kind of the, these these small probability right tail events is prompting the Fed to just kind of reevaluate policies in a broader context under different stresses? I think right now the Fed, like the rest of us, is just trying to get through COVID. Yeah. Okay. All of my friends at the Fed, they're still working from home. Um, the Fed is an institution. Uh, the Fed staff is working hard and struggling mightily to get through COVID the way the rest of us are. Mm-hmm. And so my hunch is that some of the policymakers are thinking about this in that way. But the in the, the long run way this will play out is going to depend first on getting back into our normal routines and being able to really exchange ideas with each other in the hallway instead of over Zoom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think climate change more than maybe any other kind of impending right-tail event would impact kind of Fed's mandate more, I think, with yeah. kind of labor market disruptions yeah. and I don't know. I credit mean, like it, disruptions. It depends on what you mean by climate change. Like if, if climate change means that like in 200 years you're going to have like sea levels that rise by six inches, then like... That's right. I don't I'm think, thinking of Florida I don't think that's going to like keep Jerome Powell up at night. Uh, <laughs> I, what keeps Jerome Powell up at night? Thinking about you. That's I was going to mention earlier that Jason has a big crush on Jerome Powell when you are talking about cult of personality. Well, there you go. Um, maybe just like final final thoughts. Like what, what should we take away from the paper? Yeah. Other than like monetary policy can affect these wealth disparities. So I think the, the big thing to take away from the paper, and this is not something the authors put in, but it's a conclusion I think that's fair to reach, is that policy should not be directed at reducing inequality. It should be directed at making people better off. Okay. You go to try to make, reduce inequality, you're often fighting against yourself. And the paper gives a beautiful example of that where accommodative monetary policy, if you're really after reducing inequality, you could actually be increasing inequality. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, so like it, the, the converse of the paper or something is like, 
well, if you want to get rid of inequality, just have like super restrictive monetary <laughs> yeah. policy and like make everybody's wealth fall. Exactly. I mean, the the, the only sure Done. way of, of getting rid of inequality is to make us all dead. <laughs> we'll be very equal at that point. That um, that's a great place to segue to our last segment. Which that's right. Rapid fire. All right, we've got some questions for you. All right, Professor T Bone, and um, we we're there's no like time limit on these things. We we hope that you'll answer quickly, and we will judge you if you don't. But you know, uh, <laughs> our audience will judge you if you don't. We never judge. Excellent. All right, do you want to start, Jason? Um, yeah. So. Let's do an easy one. Principles of micro or principles of macro? Principles of micro. Definitely. All right. So what nickname should we give Jason Reed? What does he what what piece of meat does he look like? Dr. Tofu. Dr. Tofu. <laughs> this is pre-planned. <laughs> no, pre-planned. It was not. All right. Uh, I don't like that. I like Professor Quinoa, but okay. Okay. <laughs> um what what is so we asked this to a lot of our guests. What's the worst spot on Notre Dame's campus? The meditation room at the at the basement of Jenkins Nanovich. It's labeled meditation room, and you go there, and it's nothing but an auditorium. <laughs> <laughs> I was going there to try to find a place to nap, and I was extraordinarily disappointed. Uh, what's the best part about being Jewish instead of being Catholic? I've never been Catholic, so I can't compare those. <laughs> okay. The best part about being Jewish is Israeli breakfast. Okay. Wait, what's an what's can I can we pause lightning round? What's Israeli breakfast? The best fresh fruits you can ever imagine. Oh, that does sound good. That's right up Doctor Tofu's alley. <laughs> um, uh, okay, optimal level of inflation for the U.S. This is a tough one. This is a tough one. Um, I'm inclined to actually go for uh, 1%. Not negative 4%? Not negative 4 <laughs> I'm being reasonable. Okay. Okay. And, and I'll say why. I think that at some level, inflation uh, uh, incentivizes the creation of money-like assets that are protected from the inflation tax. And it's those money-like assets that produce um, financial instability. Mm, okay. This is a line of reasoning pursued by my PhD student, Hugo Van Bougenum. Okay. We like plugs. That's, That's right. We'll and Hugo, Hugo yeah. uh, is on the market now, in case oh. any of you are hiring. Yes. <laughs> um, but he does have a couple of good job offers. Okay, cool. Uh, does the dynamic expression of ID3 cells help define the stepwise differentiation of tissue resident regulatory T cells? You're asking the wrong um, Campbell. <laughs> yes, that, that is the point of the you question. Are at, you should have been asking DJ Campbell, with whom I share parents. Gotcha. <laughs> Do you want to take a guess? It's, it's yes. a yes or yeah. the, oh, the, answer the answer is yes. yes. The answer your, your is yes. Your brother yes. would be very proud. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, What last one maybe. Um, what movie recommendation would you make to Notre Dame students? And then what just broad recommendation would you make to okay. Notre Dame students? The movie recommendation I want to make to Notre Dame students right now is Citizen Jane. It was a fantastic uh, documentary film. Maybe it's four years old now. You can check the DVD out of Hesburgh. And it's a documentary of, of Jane Jacobs' battle with Robert Moses over the uh, urban development of New York. Who's hmm. Jane Jacobs? Jane Jacobs is the pioneer of urban economics. She was a writer for an architecture magazine. 
And she became an adamant opponent of the doctrine of urban renewal that arose in the 40s and 50s. Okay. I have to ask one more question then. Wait, what's your opinion about Robert Moses? Robert Moses was a fantastically interesting and tragic character. Okay. Um, Make- it's a great movie, though. And it's the battle between the two of them is Shakespearean. You know, I would love to get our roving Fed correspondent back on here just to talk about Mike Moses. I think we have to have right. a, a yeah. new feature where we just do movie reviews with T-Bow and Campbell. There you go. There you go. So that's my movie rev- That's yeah. my movie recommendation for all Notre Dame undergraduates. Perfect. All that's right. great. Jeff, thank you so much for... Jeff Campbell. Yeah. You're the best. Thank you so much. Thank you uh, for support, but Dr. Tofu, <laughs> I appreciate your having me on your program. <laughs> That was excellent. You know, Forrest, how would you describe your main takeaway from talking to Jeff? I think the main takeaway I have from all the different pieces of that is that, look, you know, monetary policy done well is going to have all sorts of different channels in terms of impacting people along the income distribution in a positive way, right? So if it's done mm-hmm. well, it's going to this is going to be the rising tide lifts all boats, right? And it's going to be at every point on the income distribution. And the, I guess the corollary of that or something is that, you know, monetary policy done poorly is going to hurt everybody. Right. And now, that could reduce income inequality, right, in like a very destructive way. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, the main takeaway is the Fed's first order of concern needs to be just like do monetary policy well. Like try and promote price stability and, you know, Full employment. Yeah. Maximal employment, full employment. That's like a little more of a hazy concept now. Yeah. But, you know, target employment, target price stability, try and lift the tide for all the boats. That's great. So, well, that's it for another episode of All Else Equal. We want to thank you all for listening. And remember, if you want to submit a question or come on the podcast, you can email us at allelseequalpodcast at gmail.com. Mm-hmm.